Section 14 of The House Behind the Cedars. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James K. White. The House Behind the Cedars by Charles W. Chestnut. Section 14. A Loyal Friend. Mention has been made of certain addressed envelopes which John Warwick, on the occasion of his visit to Patesville, had left with his illiterate mother, by the use of which she might communicate with her children from time to time. On one occasion, Miss Molly, having had a letter written, took one of these envelopes from the chest where she kept her most valued possessions, and was about to enclose the letter when someone knocked at the back door. She laid the envelope and letter on a table in her bedroom, and went to answer the knock. The wind, blowing across the room through the open windows, picked up the envelope and bore it into the street. Miss Molly, on her return, missed it, looked for it, and being unable to find it, took another envelope. An hour or two later, another gust of wind lifted the bit of paper from the ground and carried it into the open door of the cooper shop. Frank picked it up, and observing that it was clean and unused, read the superscription. In his conversations with Miss Molly, which were often about Rena, the subject uppermost in both their minds, he had noted the mystery maintained by Miss Molly about her daughter's whereabouts, and had often wondered where she might be. Frank was an intelligent fellow, and could put this and that together. The envelope was addressed to a place in South Carolina. He was aware, from some casual remark of Miss Molly's, that Rena had gone to live in South Carolina. Her son's name was John. That he had changed his last name was more than likely. Frank was not long in reaching the conclusion that Rena was to be found near the town named on the envelope, which he carefully preserved for future reference. For a whole year, Frank had yearned for a smile or a kind word from the only woman in the world. Peter, his father, had rallied him somewhat upon his moodiness after Rena's departure. "'Now's the time, boy, for you to be looking round for some nice gal of your own color. What appreciates you and won't be shamed of you. You're wasting time, boy. Wasting time shooting at a mark out of your range.' But Frank said nothing in reply, and afterwards the old man, who was not without discernment, respected his son's mood and was silent in return while Frank fed his memory with his imagination, and by their joint aid kept hope alive. Later, an opportunity to see her presented itself. Business in the cooper shop was dull. A barrel factory had been opened in the town, and had well-nigh paralyzed the cooper's trade. The best mechanic could hardly compete with a machine. One man could now easily do the work of Peter's shop, an agent appeared in town seeking laborers for one of the railroads which the newly organized carpet-bag governments were promoting. Upon inquiry, Frank learned that their destination was near the town of Clarence, South Carolina. He promptly engaged himself for the service, and was soon at work in the neighborhood of Warwick's home. There he was employed, steadily, until a certain holiday, upon which a grand tournament was advertised to take place in a neighboring town. Work was suspended, and foremen and laborers attended the festivities. 
Frank had surmised that Rena would be present on such an occasion. He had more than guessed, too, that she must be looked for among the white people rather than among the black. Hence the interest with which he had scanned the grandstand. The result has already been recounted. He had recognized her sweet face. He had seen her enthroned among the proudest and best. He had witnessed and glorified in her triumph. He had seen her cheek flushed with pleasure, her eyes lit up with smiles. He had followed her carriage, had made the acquaintance of Mimi the nurse, and had learned all about the family. When finally he left the neighborhood to return to Patesville, he had learned of Tryon's attentions, and had heard the servants gossip with reference to the marriage, of which they knew the details long before the principals had approached the main fact. Frank went away without having received one smile or heard one word from Rena. But he had seen her. She was happy. He was content in the knowledge of her happiness. She was doubtless secure in the belief that her secret was unknown. Why should he, by revealing his presence, sow the seeds of doubt or distrust in the garden of her happiness? He sacrificed the deepest longing of a faithful heart and went back to the cooper shop lest perchance she might accidentally come upon him some day and suffer the shock which he had sedulously spared her i wouldn't want to scare he mused or make her feel bad and that's what i'd most likely do if she seed me she'll be better off with me out in the road she'll marry that rich white gentleman he won't never know the difference and be a white lady as she would have been if some old witch hadn't changed her in a cradle but maybe sometimes she'll remember the little nigger what used to nurse her when she was a child, and fished out in the old canal, and would have died for if it would have done any good. Very generously, too, and with a fine delicacy, he said nothing to Miss Molly of his having seen her daughter, lest she might be disquieted by the knowledge that he shared the family secret. No great mystery now, this pitiful secret, but more far-reaching in its consequences than any blood-curdling crime. The taint of black blood was the unpardonable sin, from the unmerited penalty of which there was no escape except by concealment. If there be a dainty reader of this tale who scorns a lie, and who writes the story of his life upon his sleeve for all the world to read, let him uncurl his scornful lip, and come down from the pedestal of superior morality, to which assured position and wide opportunity have lifted him and put himself in the place of rena and her brother upon whom god had lavished his best gifts and from whom society would have withheld all that made these gifts valuable to undertake what they tried to do required great courage had they possessed the sneaking cringing treacherous character traditionally ascribed to people of mixed blood the character which the blessed institutions of a free slaveholding republic had been well adapted to foster among them had they been selfish enough to sacrifice to their ambition the mother who gave them birth, society would have been placated or humbugged, and the voyage of their life might have been one unbroken smoothness. When Rena came back unexpectedly at the behest of her dream, Frank heard again the music of her voice, felt the joy of her presence, and the benison of her smile. There was, however, a subtle difference in her bearing. Her words were not less kind, but they seemed to come from a remoter source. She was kind, as the sun is warm or the rain refreshing. 
she was especially kind to Frank, because he had been good to her mother. If Frank felt the difference in her attitude, he ascribed it to the fact that she had been white, and had taken on something of the white attitude toward the Negro. And Frank, with an equal unconsciousness, clothed her with the attributes of the superior race. Only her drop of black blood, he conceived, gave him the right to feel toward her as he would never have felt without it. And if Rena guessed her faithful devotee's secret, the same reason saved his worship from presumption. A smile and a kind word were little enough to pay for a life's devotion. On the third day of Rena's presence in Patesville, Frank was driving up Front Street in the early afternoon, when he nearly fell off his cart in astonishment as he saw seated in Dr. Green's buggy, which was standing in front of the Patesville Hotel, the young gentleman who had won the prize at the tournament, and who, as he had learned, was to marry Rena. Frank was quite certain that she did not know of Tryon's presence in the town. Frank had been over to Miss Molly's in the morning, and had offered his services to the sick woman, who had rapidly become convalescent upon her daughter's return. Miss Molly had spoken of some camphor that she needed. Frank had volunteered to get it. Rena had thanked him, and had spoken of going to the drug store during the afternoon. It was her intention to leave Patesville on the following day. If that man sees her in this town, said Frank to himself, there'll be trouble. She don't know he's here, and I'll bet he don't know she's here. Then Frank was assailed by a very strong temptation. If, as he surmised, the joint presence of the two lovers in Patesville was a mere coincidence, a meeting between them would probably result in the discovery of Rena's secret. If she's found out, argued the tempter, she'll come back to her mother, and you can see her every day. But Frank's love was not of the selfish kind. He put temptation aside, and applied the whip to the back of his mule with a vigor that astonished the animal and moved him to unwonted activity. In an unusually short space of time he drew up before Miss Molly's back gate, sprang from the cart, and ran up to Miss Molly on the porch. "'Is Miss Rena here?' he demanded breathlessly. "'No, Frank. She went up town about an hour ago to see the doctor and get me some camphor gum.' Frank uttered a groan, rushed from the house, sprang into the cart, and goaded the terrified mule into a gallop that carried him back to the market-house in half the time it had taken him to reach Miss Molly's. "'I wonder what in the world's the matter with Frank,' mused Miss Molly in vague alarm. "'If he hadn't been in such a hurry, I'd have asked him to read Judge Strait's letter. But Reno'll be home soon.' When Frank reached the doctor's office, he saw Tryon seated in the doctor's buggy, which was standing by the window of the drugstore. Frank ran upstairs and asked the doctor's man if Miss Walden had been there. "'Yes,' replied Dave. "'She was here a little while ago, and said she was going downstairs to the drug store. I wouldn't be surprised if you'd find her there now.'" End of section 14 Recording by James K. White, Chula Vista